been really thirsty? Maybe it was the hottest day you could remember. Maybe you just finished working outside of the yard. Maybe it was a, a workout, a run, or a bicycle ride, and you just thought you would just about do anything for a drink of water. Cold, clear water. And you have it, and it just feels so refreshing as it enters into your mouth, as it touches your tongue and goes down your throat, and and you drink, and you think, wow, that was good, and so you fill up another cup, and maybe you drink it, and then finally you're like, ah, you feel somewhat refreshed. I wonder how many people, if we were really honest, walk around on a daily basis, spiritually thirsty, or even more dangerous, spiritually dehydrated. That we have such a a lack of the influence and the empowerment of God through His Holy Spirit in our lives that we really don't distinguish ourselves very much different than the world around us. And we limp along from, from day to day. We feel spiritually tired, we feel weakened, we, we don't desire as much of the things of God as we think we should. We don't really, you know, get too fired up or excited about opening up our Bibles or, or we can't seem to spend more than a couple of minutes in prayer or, or maybe even on a deeper level, those things that we really feel like should bother us, those sins that we should be convicted about just don't seem to be so convicting anymore. That things just kind of seem okay. And we kind of slide along. And we look at the condition of the people around us, our neighbors, our friends, and we just think, well, that's their business. And we find ourselves in this spiritual dehydration. And this morning I want to talk to you out of John chapter 7 about satisfying spiritual thirst. And I want to offer up to you the, the reality that, that Jesus satisfies our spiritual thirst. And that His gift of the Holy Spirit enables believers to, to bear spiritual fruit. Now the verses we're going to read, in short, I'll put into context in just a moment um, as I give just a brief overview of, of chapter 7 of John. But let me begin reading in, chap, in chapter 7, verse 37, and I'll only read... Verses 37 through 39, and then we'll pray. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who had believed in were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Father, we are thankful that we have privilege, opportunity to gather here this morning. And we gather in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's our desire to exalt Him and lift up high His name. We thank you for the songs of praise that we've been able to sing. We thank you that they prepare our hearts to to hear and receive your word. And we ask that by your spirit, you would guide us to the truth of your word. God, that if we find ourselves lacking in need, 
that we could come to you and drink freely from what you have to offer. Show us this morning what it means that you give life-giving water. Point us to your truth from your word. And we ask you to do that. We trust that you will and we know that you will. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you began reading at the first part of John chapter 7, you would see that, that Jesus was about to make his third visit to the city of Jerusalem. It's been about 18 months chronologically since the last time he had been there. He's on, he arrived there in Jerusalem from Galilee just before a feast. The Feast of Tabernacle. He goes there not in public but in secret. Because, as he had proclaimed many times, his time had not yet come. He went in private, in secret, to the festival. He did some teaching at the temple. Um, It was revealed that he was not self-taught, but that he was instructed by God. He proclaimed that his will was to do God's will. Some people accused him of having a demon. Others recognized him as the man that they sought to kill. Some questioned and said, can they really know he is the Christ? And the Pharisees hear that Jesus is there and they, and he's beginning to make an impression on the people and they, they send the temple officers out and they attempt to arrest him. And you read about that in verse 32. Jesus says, I'll be with you a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. And you'll seek me and you'll not find me because where I am from you cannot come. And the people were confused. And then we come to verse number 37. And this morning in those verses, we're going to look at the feast. We're going to look at what Jesus said during the feast. And we're going to look at what John explains about Jesus' words. And then we'll draw some conclusions at the end. So the first thing I want to look at is the feast. If you look at the first part of verse 37, you see on the last day of the feast, the great feast, the great day. So what feast is he talking about? He is speaking about the, the Feast of Tabernacles or, or booths. In Hebrew, the word was Sukkot. It was also called, I love this, the season of our joy. It was the last feast of the calendar year. It usually happened between the end of September and the middle of October. And one commentator said it was a, a time of joyous celebration as the Israelites gathered together to celebrate God's continued provision for them in the current harvest, and to remember his provision of protection during the 40 years in the wilderness. You can read about it in detail in Leviticus chapter 23 or in Nehemiah chapter 8. But during this particular festival, the people would build temporary shelters called sukkahs or or tabernacles as a reminder of the time they spent in the wilderness wanderings. So they would build these lean-to type structures that had very specific... uh, Details, how they were to be built. They weren't completely closed in because they wanted you to be able to see the stars. But they were temporary dwellings. So it was a bit like camping out in Jerusalem for families. At this time, there were great pillar-like menorahs, candlesticks that were placed in the court of women. Historians say they could be seen from, from far away. And they reminded all the people of the Shekinah glory of the Lord as they see them shining brightly. The men would wave branches in, in celebration at specific times. But the height of this, cere- of this festival was the water drawing ceremony. 
Now, you won't read about it in the Old Testament, but it became a common practice in history at least 200 years before the time of, of Jesus. And they celebrated the, the gift of water and the life that it brings. They saw that it was the rain and the water from the rivers that, that gave life to all things that grow. And it may be that they remembered back to Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, when they would sing joyfully, with joy you will draw waters from the wells of salvation. Scholar Don Carson gives us a good picture of this festival. Says there were, there were seven days where they would take a golden picture, pitcher, not a picture, pitcher. They would go to the pool of Siloam and they would fill it with water. There would be a great procession led by the high priest from the pool of Siloam back to the temple. They would go through the water gate, aptly named, on the south side of the inner court. They would blast the shofar, the trumpet, three times in celebration. The temple choir would sing the Hallel, those psalms, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. And when the choir got to Psalm 118, every male pilgrim who had their branch, which was usually willow or myrtle, which would move that in one hand and they would have a piece of citrus fruit in their other hand. So men aptly for worship next week, I want you to go out and get you a tree branch and a piece of citrus um, to, um, to worship. No, not really. And they would raise those in celebration, in offering of thanksgiving to the Lord for vision of the harvest. And they would all cry out together three times, give thanks to the Lord. The water was then offered or poured out on the altar during the time of the morning sacrifice. And you can imagine what a joyful, exciting time it would be. They're singing the psalms together. They're waving branches. They're, they're holding up fruit in the air. They're singing. And this water is poured out. And it's related to God providing water, not only in the desert, but God continually providing water that gave life throughout the years. And it pointed forward to God's pouring out of the Holy Spirit in the last days. Now, there is some question about what day of the feast it was, whether it was the seventh day, which would have technically been the last day of the feast, or the eighth day, which would have been the Sabbath day following. Uh, you can read about that if you want to in just about any commentary, but the only difference it would make is that the seventh day would be the last day that they would do the water-pouring ceremony. So that was the last day they poured out the golden pitcher on the altar. So... If that were the case, when Jesus spoke his words, then at the time, you know, that they were pouring out the water and they were singing the praises, Jesus would have stood up and spoken. And it would have been like, you know, a, a clap of thunder going off in the middle of the ceremony. And all of the attention would have been drawn to Jesus. If it were on the eighth day, which was a Sabbath day, it would have been equally as powerful because there would have been no water drawing on that day. There still would have been worship at the temple. There still would have been people gathered together. But with no water being drawn, no procession, all the attention would have been on Jesus when he stood up and said, you know, come to me and drink. And everything, all the years of all those ceremonies that pointed to something that only Jesus could satisfy there in the flesh would be the one that could offer life giving living water. But what we do know, regardless of whether you want to look at the seventh day or the eighth day, is that the Bible tells us it was a great Day. In fact, Josephus, Jewish historian, called it the very sacred close of the year. It was the celebration to end all celebrations in the Jewish calendar year. And so to the Jews, it was one of the greatest days 
on the earth. But for us, it's also one of the greatest days in all of history because at that day, Jesus, the one who the scripture says is our great high priest, stood and delivered the greatest invitation, the message of salvation to any that would come. Which brings us to the second point. The setting is the feast. What happens? Jesus speaks. Look at the rest of verse 37. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Jesus did two things to make sure that he gained everyone's attention. He stood up and he cried out. Now, according to tradition, a rabbi or a teacher would usually teach from a sitting position. But in the crowd and the throngs gathered at the temple court that morning, Jesus stands there among all the worshipers in the court right outside the temple. And he cries out. A loud cry, an expressive shout of deep emotion. In fact, it's sometimes translated shouting. It's a tone of urgency. And imagine there's people around that are there to worship. There's the Jews that are trying to kill him. There's people that have been asking questions. Is this not the man whom they seek to kill? Can it be that the authorities really know that Jesus is the Christ? When the Christ does appear, will he do more signs than this man has done? And where in the world is he going that we can't come? And Jesus stands amidst the opposition, amidst the questions, and he gives an invitation. If anyone thirsts. Think about that again. Physical thirst, chapped lips, dry tongue, parched, like feels like a desert is in your, your mouth and you need something to drink and you need it now. But then think about that in a spiritual sense. Are you thirsty for God? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you cry out in your soul like David cried out in Psalm 63? Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Truth is, if you're thirsty, you'll find something to drink. Now, when Jesus says thirst, he's talking about a spiritual need that could be lost and being needed to be found dead and needing to be made alive or lacking in something and needing to be filled. And Jesus says, come to me. And if you're spiritually thirsty, you'll you'll seek out the only source that can quench your thirst. And Jesus says, if a man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. To come to Jesus and to drink is to believe in him. That what he said about himself is true. That he is the Savior. He is the Lord. And to place your faith and your trust in him. To know that Jesus is the only source of life-giving, living water. We looked at it last week in brief that when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, he revealed this. John chapter 4 verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So 
So Jesus gives the invitation, but he follows it up with a promise. You can see it there, verse 38. Whoever believes in him, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So belief in Jesus grants access, full, complete, eternal access to the ever-flowing river of living water. But he doesn't say river, he says rivers. This continuous flow of water, living water, would describe a stream or a spring or a river or even water rushing down from ravines after a heavy rain. And making it plural would just describe the excess of it, that there's an unending supply of overflowing flow of water. But not just regular water, not just a regular river, but rivers of living water. It gives life that refreshes. See, that flowing water was a symbol of the fullness of life that God would offer through Jesus and by His Spirit. And like water or spring, like river waters or spring water would flow to give life to the land and to the people, the Spirit of God would flow to bring life to those that belong to Jesus. But Jesus says the Scripture speaks about that. But we really don't know what specific Scripture Jesus is talking about. It could be that it may not be one specifically, but maybe the the Old Testament teachings combined about life-giving water. And you can look through the Old Testament and you can find several passages that talk about living water, life-giving water that point to the inward work of God and the life of those that believe in Him. One example would be Isaiah 44 verse 3 where Isaiah writes, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my descendant and my blessing on your descendants. You could go back further and look to the Exodus and see that wonderful story where God provided water from the rock. Exodus chapter 17. And you can read about the praise they give God for it in Psalm chapter 78. You could look to the prophets Ezekiel and see that picture of life-giving water flowing from the temple. Ezekiel chapter 47. That just gets deeper and wider as it flows from the, the temple. In Zechariah chapter 14, you can read about water flowing from the new Jerusalem. All of them pointing to the truth that Jesus promises rivers of living water. One person describes it this way, the great abundance and never-ending flow of life-giving water. The Holy Spirit is the eternal, omnipotent source who is in us and flows forth from us forever. Jesus promises that river of living water. And the truth is, our life in Christ is dependent on that presence of the Holy Spirit. Your body, my body, needs water to survive. And our souls need God's Spirit to survive. Not just a little bit, but all of the time. We are totally, completely dependent on His Spirit. You, You can't even begin to live and you can't live the Christian life apart from God's Spirit. 
There's not really any exceptions that everything we do for Christ, we do in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not I, but Christ who is in me. And so Jesus, in this promise of living water, gives us promises and he delivers to us exactly what we need. Eternal life, the experience of abundant life, and then the ability to be a channel to share his blessings with others. And Jesus shouts out to all that will hear, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. An offer that is available to anyone But it really is only accepted by those who are thirsty. Those who believe that this drink will provide life. That they will be satisfied and they will be filled to overflowing. So Jesus speaks these words and then in verse 39, John explains these words. You look there at verse 39. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So if the reader did not figure it out, John spells it out clearly for us that Jesus was speaking about the Holy Spirit. That the living waters flowing out represent the Holy Spirit and His work. Now John's already told us, and the other three Gospels will attest to it, that it is Jesus who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You can see John chapter 1, verse 33. Another way of looking at that would be to say that Jesus immerses us believers in the Holy Spirit, that we're, we're filled in and surrounded without by the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. And as William Barclay says, it's Jesus brings God's Spirit to us in a way that we are saturated and our life and being are flooded with the Spirit. So I like those words that we're saturated and we're flooded. That there's so much that it, it, it leaks out when we're filled with the Spirit. And so just like water was poured out at the Feast of Tabernacle, one day at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. But who would the Spirit be poured out upon? You have to look at two words in verse 39, and those words are believe and receive. Only those that believe in Jesus would receive the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit was a gift, just like salvation. And a gift is only to those that receive it. And to receive it, you have to believe in Jesus. Now, he equates belief there with the phrase earlier, come to him and drink. So to come to Jesus and to drink would be to believe or to place your faith and your trust in him. So if you receive Christ, you receive the gift of eternal life, which is free, and you receive the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, like rivers of living water, flows into and out of any man or woman who would believe in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Now look down to the last part of verse 39. And we see that Jesus is speaking about a future event. Because he says, for as yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, don't get hung up on the where it says the Spirit had not been given. He's not saying that the Spirit was not already present and at work in the world prior to this point. But he's simply saying that the Holy Spirit was not 
given in full. And the reason he gives for this was that Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was not yet glorified. You see, in God's timing, one day Jesus would be crucified, placed in a tomb and rise again. He would be glorified. There's a reference to his death on the cross, his burial and his resurrection. You can look at John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 and see as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Lifted up not only in the sense of being hung on a cross, but lifted up, exalted or glorified. And so Jesus spoke over and over again in his ministry about his hour or his time. And many times he would say, my time has not yet come. And so he would use that to say, you know, it wasn't time for things to happen. And then finally, when he's about to go to the cross, he says, you know, my time has come. And only after his time had come would Jesus send the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, and we'll get there in probably a couple of weeks. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, verse 7, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so when Jesus ascended, after the disciples waited and prayed, the Spirit came. When his work on the cross was finished, crucified, buried, raised to life, victorious, he returned to the Father and he sent the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, All who are thirsty can come and drink of the living water from Jesus to find true satisfaction, to receive that gift of eternal life and to be blessed with the presence of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus satisfies our spiritual thirst and his gift of the Holy Spirit enables believers to bear spiritual truth. Now, I want to, in just a couple of minutes we have left to just draw some conclusions. We've looked at the feast. We've looked at what Jesus said. We've seen what John explained about it. But what conclusions can we draw from these verses? The first thing that that should be clear is that only Jesus satisfies spiritual thirst. There's a quest in our day and has been for centuries for, for people who are longing for spiritual things. They're longing for and experience. They're longing for inner peace. They're longing for satisfaction. They have a spiritual thirst, or as Pascal said, they have a, a God-shaped hole that only Jesus can fill. I don't know if you've read the book before, but in the Chronicles of Narnia series, in the, in the silver chair, um, there's an account... Early in the book about Jill Pole, she's the friend of, of Eustace Scrub, and she gets separated from Eustace in the woods there in Narnia, and she's alone, and she's thirsty. She finds a stream, but between her and the stream, there is a lion. Not just any lion, but the lion, Oslin. And the lion speaks to her. If you're thirsty, you may drink. And later he repeats, if you are thirsty, come and drink. And then we pick up reading in the story. Are you not thirsty? Said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. 
May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do? Said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move, aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come? said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I've swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. I didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. And the reality is many are dying of thirst. And Jesus is the only source of living water. It's the only way to it. It's through Him and Him alone. So if you've never accepted that truth, or if maybe you've forgotten it, if you're wandering out aimlessly and you're spiritually thirsty, I have to remind you that it's only Jesus that's going to satisfy your spiritual thirst. There's nothing. There's no other stream. But the second conclusion we can draw is that those who receive Jesus receive His Spirit. So if you drink of, if you accept Jesus, you receive His Spirit. Jesus always keeps His promises. He promised He would send the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, you have the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that is life-giving, life-changing, overcoming power available to you. You have worth, you have value, you have empowerment by God's Spirit. And so don't give up and don't give in. But lean in to Jesus. Drink more of what He has to offer. Find rest. Find hope. Find freedom and find victory. And then the third thing is that God's Spirit indwells believers and flows from them to others. I see that in two ways. There may be more, but the first of all is that God gives spiritual gifts to build up the body. We'll get to this eventually, but you, you need to go ahead and know it now and you need to continue to know it. Every believer, every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. So you can't really say, truthfully, I, I don't have any gifts. You may not realize it. You may not be using it. It may not be in... You know, full measure in life, but every 
believer has a gift. And God tells us, the New Testament confirms that those gifts are to build up the body. That's why each of us are so important to one another. That's why we're not insignificant. Whether you feel like you're a head or a toe or somewhere in between, you're all an important part of the body. We all have an important role to play and we all have a gift that is important. And your gift is for the building up, for the edification of the body, that we're all necessary. That's why when you're here, we rejoice. When we're not here, we miss you because we, we need you. It's not because we like to count a bunch of people, but it's because we do need you and we like to be together, but also because God has a purpose and we use one another in community to build each other up. But also, that outflow of the Spirit is that there is spiritual fruit in our lives that is for the blessing of others. That where we go and what we do, when God's fruit The Holy Spirit's fruit is on display. It's for the benefit of others. That love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Even if it's just a trickle out of your life. Even if it's not full-flowing. Even if the fruit is small. uh, That that fruit is to bless and to benefit others. Both within the body and outside the body. So we drink from the living water that is Jesus. That gives us the indwelling power of his Holy Spirit that is to flow out to be a blessing to others. I want to close this morning and just read um, from a, a hymn. Actually, it's, I guess you could call it a hymn. It's from Keith and Kristen Getty I discovered this week. Um, and it just says, Are you thirsty? Are you empty? Come and drink these living waters. Tired and broken. Peace unspoken. Rest beside these living waters. Christ is calling. Find refreshing. At the cross of living waters. Lay your life down. All the old gone. Rise up in these living waters. There's a river that flows with mercy and love. Bringing joy to the city of our God. There there our hope is secure. Do not fear anymore. Praise the Lord of living waters. Spirit moving. Mercy washing. Healing in these living waters. Lead your children to the shoreline. Life is in these living waters. Are you thirsty? Are you empty? Come and drink these living waters. Love, forgiveness, vast and boundless. Christ, he is our living waters. Will you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for the gift of salvation. We are thankful for the living water that you provide through your Son, Jesus Christ, in the person of the Holy Spirit. That will gladly enter in and fill and flood over the life of any man that would call, or woman that would call to you in faith and in trust. God, it's it's overwhelming to think that you would love us enough and think of us enough that your very presence would be in us and your very presence would work through us by your Spirit. We thank you that as we look briefly at these truths about living water, 
that just as there's the vastness of the ocean, the depth and the width that we couldn't measure, that there's so much more about you that you desire to reveal to us and work in us. And God, our, our humble prayer this morning is that you would, first of all, help us to surrender our lives to you as a vessel. And second, that you would work in us through your spirit, through confession and repentance and sanctification to enlarge the size of our vessel so that we could experience more of you. Not for our own glory or for our own prideful ways, but that you could use us to be a blessing to more and more people around us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for for being here in the midst of us. Thank you for speaking to us by your Spirit. And we ask that you would take these words and that you would apply them to our hearts and you would change us and you would transform us. Make us over again afresh and anew. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen and amen. We're going to sing.